This is part two of the Presentation Skills podcast, and we're talking with Vic Brazel about presentation delivery. Vic, while you too have a solid foundation in preparation and content, you are well known for your dynamic stage presence and captivating performances at medical conferences. Is presenting something that came naturally to you, or was your own process of self-improvement part of what made you interested in teaching and sharing these skills? Uh, well, thank you for the compliment, Kate. Uh, definitely not natural. I agree with Ross in your earlier podcast that very few, if any, people find presentation skills a natural talent or something they uh, love and embrace the first time around. For me, I can tell you a little story. When I was first a registrar and we were doing a journal club and there can't have been more than eight people in the room, we were sitting around a desk and I had to present a paper. And as I started just describing this paper, I could feel the sweat running off my body, down my face, down my chest. I was bright red. My voice was tremulous. I couldn't even look these eight people in the eye. I was so nervous. So this was 1997, and I realized after that that I had an entire career ahead of me, and I did not want to feel like that again. So really, that was my story and trigger point for there must be a way to do this. There must be something to how to look good, sound good, and have an impact without feeling this way. And I've discovered that 20 years later, if you just keep at it, you can indeed improve. So what are the key elements that you focus on to improve your delivery? So I think I really like Ross's structure with the P-cubed idea, but for me the concepts that come home every time is to, number one, have a clarity of message, number two, to have a audience focus that is very sharp and number three to really use your voice and your body language to support that message and to support that engagement with the audience. Now what does that mean in practice? Just as again Ross said in his former podcast, it involves a fair bit of thinking time, particularly about the message and about what the audience are going to expect, want and need and give them a little bit of each of those things. And I think that means really developing what are those three take-home messages that the audience are going to have. Because then every time that my construction and developing the structure starts to go awry and I'm thinking I'm spending too much on this or too little on that, I think, hang on, what were those three messages again? And if one of the main three messages is only dealt with in the last three minutes, then I probably haven't structured my talk correctly. So I think they're probably the things that happen first. And I think once you've got that message and the idea of how that is going to connect you with the audience, then you can start to plan the delivery. And perhaps slightly differently to Ross, I really think developing the voice and body language aspects of the delivery happens in parallel with the slides. I think Ross would intend this too, but I think about the two as very integrated because in a way, one medium is you and one medium is the audiovisuals. And again, just as Ross says, people can really only focus on one or the other. So I think the two need to be thought of as the delivery medium broadly. Sometimes people will be looking at an image or even text on a slide, whereas other times they will be intently focused on you and what you're doing and how you're looking and how you're sounding. Interesting point you make, Vic, about developing the voice and body language aspects of the delivery in parallel with the slides. So the audience will be either focusing on the image or on you. So for a lot of presenters, this can feel quite confronting. And as you mentioned earlier, you were quite nervous when you first started out. 
Which leads into the next question. One of the most common obstacles in giving presentations is that anxiety related to public speaking. What strategies have you found most effective for overcoming nerves? I don't think there's any real secret to this, Kate. I think it is just volume of practice and amount of preparation. And then maybe there are a few strategies for thinking about the finer points. But I think for the most part, people need to be both prepared for that specific session. And I mean that in terms of think about what the venue is like, think about what the uh, stage is going to be like, think about what audiovisual equipment is there. I love Ross's blog post about this is not the time to be trying out your IT skills down at the lectern is when you're about to give the presentation. <laughs> Uh, but I think also, obviously, that actually practicing the talk, and I think in particular, having those first two or three lines completely scripted so that they can come out of your mouth no matter how much cognitive load you've got with anxiety. So I think to have a very finely polished beginning to the talk is a good plan. I think just to have practiced the delivery at least as many times as you've spent time on practicing preparing the content and then I've got a couple of things that I perhaps do if I find myself getting anxiety snuck up on me mm -hmm. so using the audience is one of them so often if I'm feeling like everyone's looking at me and that is creating anxiety then I will often use an audience activity to take the attention off me as it were so things like asking people to put up their hands about where they're from, giving the audience a task, sometimes giving them something to talk to their neighbour about and introduce each other. Some of those things, I think if you're really paralysed with anxiety, then giving your introduction, giving the audience something to do and opening their mouths helps you just recollect yourselves, feel like you've had an engagement with the audience, and I personally find that that helps a great deal. But I think the general answer to your question is just lots of practice. I believe that you've taken some lessons from film and theatre. Has that, you know, contributed? I think stage presence makes a big impact. And I think that's the case for talks. I think that's the case for interviews. I think that's the case when we speak to our colleagues and our patients. Sometimes it's more important than other times. And I don't think there's a right and a wrong. Often people come back from courses and go, you have to hold your hands this way. You have to stand this way. You have to sound this way. I think of it more as though you have to be aware of the impact about any of the decisions in regard to your voice and body language. And is that the impact that you intend? Do you intend it to be a grand stage presentation which will require a certain amount of performance? Or is this a relatively low-key teaching session in our emergency department where clearly that's going to seem like idiotic way to approach the presentation? But I think Everyone needs some kind of stage presence. Just know that the way that we project ourselves, whether it is with voice, whether it is through the way that we move, will have an impact uh, on our audience. And so try for it not to be distracting from our message. It should support it. The second criticism I often have from people about this is, oh, that's all style and no substance. And I think it's really about supporting the substance, leveraging the substance, and really getting the message across, not it being instead of substance. So I think it's about making the most of the message. Actually, I read something recently. There was a review, and it looked at how voice influenced perception. And I'll just read this. 23% of participants said the speaker's voice quality 
influenced their opinion, while 11% said it was the content of the message. The other top factors were passion, presence and knowledge. So if passion, presence and voice quality ranked in the top five of the audience perception, successful speech is based heavily upon the how and not the what. And I think that's true, but I think that's really about saying, I want to get this message across and what's the best way to do it. I'm not at all surprised by the results of those surveys. And I think we know that, for instance, uh, lovely dulcet tones like Ross's and deep voices do sound authoritative and they have an impact. And so you look at, for instance, women in public life and most of them develop a speaking style that is a deeper voice than the one they might use in conversation. And these are strategies that people know about in terms of creating gravitas for the kind of impact they have. Things like, I think you used the word passion and enthusiasm, I think they really come across with facial expressions when you are a presenter. They come across with the right amount of body movements that is enthusiastic without being overexcited or ridiculous. And so I'm not surprised that they're the findings of those things. And taken to extreme, of course, it can be a little bit confronting. I don't know if anyone's uh, heard about the Dr. Fox experiment. It was done back in the 60s to some Stanford undergraduates. But what they did was they got a fellow to give a talk to these Stanford undergraduates, and they introduced him as a famous professor from the Northeast, and this is in the US, and gave a number of his credentials. And the trouble is, and he was talking about mathematical game theory, the trouble was the substance of this talk was complete rubbish. But he used all the tricks in the books in terms of audience engagement, smiling, voice, body language, style was there. And in fact, the audience, not only did they love it, but a number of people claimed to have read his earlier books uh, <laughs> after when they were asked about their evaluation. So there's no doubt that style can trump over substance, but I'd like to think about the two as working together, not necessarily instead of. So next question, is it possible to accelerate the rate at which we become a better and more confident speaker? If you were my coach and we had four weeks to prepare for an international conference, what would the training look like? Now that would be fun, Kate. Uh, <laughs> of course we could get better if we had four weeks to practice. It's like any deliberate practice though. It's not just a matter of repeating what we're doing. We really do need to have some clarity about the goals we've got for a really good performance. Mm. And that will usually be across the spectrum of have we got the message right? Have we, uh, to use Ross's structure, have we got the audio visuals right? And have we got our delivery right? And so I think that having that clarity about this is what we're aiming for and then practicing and getting people to provide feedback against that desired performance, I think that obviously is the path to mastery and deliberate practice. I think you need to have the right people to be coach and just like in sport, some people are really good coaches and some people are really good performers and they're not necessarily the same just because people give a good talk won't necessarily make them a great speaking coach and vice versa. Some people that maybe aren't even the best at giving a talk themselves are really good at seeing what's good, what's not so good and helping people close the gap between their current performance and their desired performance. I think we've also got to take some responsibility ourselves because we can't get our friends to, or our colleagues to watch us every time we want to practice. So also using video cameras or just your iPhone to record yourself is a really powerful strategy, particularly for the voice and body language issues. 
And uh, so, yes, obviously people could improve with directed and deliberate practice, but I think it does need to be that, not just reciting your lines and staring at your slides over and over again, because the, it, down that path lies madness and not a whole lot of improvement. So I gather from what both you and Ross have said that it's been a long journey and it's been years and years of doing presentations and lots of practice. And I can appreciate the um, importance of deliberate practice and getting feedback, but you still think in four weeks we would get enough practice to improve? Although I think probably for me in that 20 years, uh, I'd probably say I'm not sure that I've had great feedback from people. I think people are very wary of giving you feedback other than that was a good talk, thanks for that, I liked that. And it's actually really hard to get people who will give you directed feedback. And my thoughts with this is you really do need to pre-identify or ask people beforehand, will you give me feedback on my talk? And then even another step again, which is, and can you watch this, this and this? and give yeah. them what you want feedback about. Because I think just simply saying to someone at the end, what did you think of my talk? Usually ends with, yeah, yeah, it was good. Mm. Maybe it was good. Maybe it could have been better. Maybe you're not sure which was the good bits that you should do more of and which was the bits that you could improve. So I do think this coaching for improving speaking skills, just as we talked about in Ross's podcast, it's not just a matter of knowing the right thing to do. It's all the same challenges of behaviour change that we have in any skill that we're trying to acquire. Thank you. So the last question, another source of anxiety for presenters is the prospect of dealing with difficult questions from the audience. So how do you deal with the audience member who disagrees with you or also when you're not sure of the answer? Sure. Usually, I think the latter is less common. If you're invited to give a talk, it's generally because you know the topic you're talking about and knowing the answer is probably less common a problem than having an opinion because some of the things that we're discussing and debating in these sessions don't have right answers. I think the earlier question about what if you have someone who's a bit problematic, maybe not quite a heckler, but who either just digresses the question off the topic or who does create a sense of unease because they've already got a strong opinion against you. I think number one, you have the power of the stage and so that will bring with it some authority. I think number two, just there's no reason to be anything except plain and simple. This is what I think, this is why I think it and don't get into a fight. You can just simply respectfully disagree and I think the benefit of having the power of the stage is you can respectfully disagree, say what you think and you can turn your attention to the next questioner. I think if there is truly something that's outside the scope of the conversation and just appears argumentative, I think it's reasonable also to call that out just with something along the lines of, I think that's outside the scope of the conversation today. That's great advice. Okay, well we're coming to the final section of this interview. Ross, you talk about the elevator pitch what is your elevator pitch for better presentation skills? Effective communication is the basis of every great presentation, and yet so few presentations deliver that. I propose a different approach to presentations that will change both the construction and delivery of your presentations forever. That's it. Very good. Nice. The idea of an elevator pitch, though, is not to give yeah. the answer, but to engage people, to make them say, Really? Tell me more. Tell yeah, me more. Exactly. Very good. Thank you. The other way I've heard that framed, and I love your words, Ross, but 
the mass communication people talk about 2793, which stands for 27 words, okay. 9 seconds, 3 statements. And that's how they that's right. how they approach their communication after things like you know terrorist attacks or natural disasters etc yeah. and the three statements are generally something along the lines of compassion commitment and optimism so if i were to translate that into presentation skills it would be something along the lines of giving a great talk is hard but we need to be good at this because impressions about speakers are made in seconds today we'll take one step closer together so I think, you know, you can imagine that engagement of his, the empathic, this is tough, then the, come on, we can do it together, and then the optimism at the end. But I agree. I think the, whatever's the pitch, make it a good one. Mm. Vic, would you just like to provide a, a summary of our discussion? Sure. Well, I think it's been great, and I would like to thank you, Kate, for getting us together to have this chat, and obviously thanks to Ross, always a font of wisdom in both what he has to say and how he has to say it. Now, look, my three take-home points from this were great talks take work and they take practice. Number two, work on all the elements, what the message is, what medium is going to support it, and including that yourself. And thirdly, and this is a little bit definitely skewed towards my interest, step up the stage presence. Great. Thank you, Vic. Now, my take-home messages from our discussion is don't get caught up with how presentations were delivered in the past. It's not about departing facts. It's about learning. By taking on the suggestions and advice from Vic and Ross, we can improve our presentation skills, ensure our audiences are in fact learning, and model this approach to our colleagues. Through this modelling process, we can make this type of presentation the norm. It's all about behaviour change. The more this approach is seen in the medical education community, the more likely it will be adopted as the way to deliver effective presentations. So I'd like to thank both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today sharing your insights into making presentations better. Thank you very much, Vic, and thank you, Ross. Thanks very much, Kate. Thank you for having me. I would encourage our listeners to visit Ross's PQ Presentations website, and it's ffoliot.com. If you're fortunate to have the opportunity to see Vic and Ross present at a conference, I would highly recommend that you check out their sessions. For our local listeners, Vic is presenting Art Performance for Educators at Toowoomba Hospital on the 27th of April, and Ross is coming to Australia at the end of August and will be delivering a PQ presentation workshop at the teaching course in Melbourne. So to check those details out, go to flippingmeded.com. So that concludes our Presentation Skills Podcast.